strap on the boots and scrape up the knuckles. Oh, what a hit! He got jacked. This is the Big Red Ring. Presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. Murray's going to score. Touchdown. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. <laughs> the Rage is brought to you by Santan Ford in Gilbert. Are you Santan Ford? State Farm. Talk to an agent today at 800-STATE-FARM. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. The Red Sea is rising up. Temperature rising, vision blurring, rage taking over. Here's Paul Calvisi. I'm ready. I'm 100% ready. I'm telling you I'm ready. And Ron Wolfley. It doesn't get any better than that. Unleash the fury! That's not just... A chill in the air, gentlemen. Not just that rare wind chill in the desert that you're feeling. No, dare we say, that's the winds of change blowing through Arizona and Cardinals HQ. Let's see here. If you've been scoring at home, new GM, check. New head coach, TBA. New identity and culture, Incoming tick-tock. It is the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford, and as for we, Paul Calvisi here, Ron Wolfley there, joined by Darren Urban, Cardinals Insider, ACCardinals.com. Gentlemen, how about it? The Big Red Rage, the first of the Monty Austin Ford era, as he is the new GM. And Wolf, you've been talking about it all week, and we'll get some top takeaways, but... In terms of uh, maybe what you expected versus what transpired, how would you assess that in the naming of Monty Ford? Yeah, Paulie, I mean, I was pretty jacked up. Um, I love his background. Absolutely love it. I love the teams that he's come from and been associated with. Um, definitely wanted to hear more of his personal beliefs on football, of course, in the football universe and I really liked it. If you're asking me right now what my big takeaways were from this press conference and meeting Monty Ossenford, number one, there's a new sheriff in town. That was that was number one, Paul. Yep. There's a new sheriff in town. And number two, with that is going to come a new culture as well and a new way of doing things. And I loved what I was, I was hearing. Smart, tough, disciplined, physical. These are the things to me that I think the new culture of the Arizona Cardinals will be going forward. And it's very familiar to me, and I like that. I, I would say my my takeaways, Paul, the first couple, and they're, they're fairly specific. One, um, we talk about where he's from and, and the teams he's been around, which has been the Titans the last three years and then mostly the Patriots. And we all know what kind of histories that those teams have in recent times, which are good ones. But we also know that with, with Patriots, uh, Patriots, people that have come out and done this stuff there's a mixed bag sometimes on how it's worked out and i loved how he noted that he's going to take a little from everywhere he's been but one you you can't necessarily take one thing from one building and transfer it to another building and i like that thought process because you don't want him just to try and take the template the patriots template or whatever template and just try and bring it over here because inevitably that doesn't work because there's human beings involved and there's and, and that can throw it off. And I would say the other thing, too, is 
And this is what I was most interested in. And I know a lot of this will have to do with what happens with the coach. But I asked a couple times about Kyler Murray and his role in terms of the coach and, and how he was looking at things. And yeah, it was his first press conference, and maybe he just wanted to make sure we went in this direction. But he brought it; he made it real broad, real fast. Like he he did not talk directly about Kyler Murray, even on Kyler Murray questions. He made it about the team. He made it about the you know the team needing a, a coach, they, the, a, a team that needed coaches that develop all players, and a culture that you know it's all about the team. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yes, there was a press conference to start this week. It was the new GM, Monty Ossenford, and the team owner, Michael Bidwell, who was asked, why Monty Ossenford? As we went through the process and the whole process, it became clear that Monty Ossenford had the combination of a well-defined vision, a work ethic, character, the background and experience And being with two great organizations, the New England Patriots as well as uh, the Tennessee Titans, in evolving roles. And it became apparent, all of the combination of those things, that Monty was going to be the best fit for us. And your point, Darren, somebody put out a list. General managers who once upon a time scouted for Bill Belichick. Here you go. Scott Pioli of the Chiefs, Thomas Dimitrov of the Falcons, Jason Light of the Bucks also came through the Cardinals building, obviously. John Robinson of the Titans, Bob Quinn of the Lions, Nick Casario of the Texans, Dave Ziegler of the Raiders, and now Monty Ford of the Cardinals. But like you guys, I do like the fact that he spent three years with the Titans. I do like yeah. the fact that he got up there and he said, you know what, um, I've taken bits and pieces from other places, Wolf. I'm not trying to replicate the Patriot yeah. way because guess what? The Patriot way seemingly only really truly works for Bell Belichick and Tom Brady. <laughs> and Paulie, you just nailed it right there. And, and Derb, I love what you said because it's a great observation. You can't try to be Bill Belichick. Don't try to be Bill Belichick. And I think that's what a lot of guys do that come from New England. What would Bill do is what they ask. How, how should I react? What would Bill think on this? What should, I, what should my answer be on this? I, I honestly think he's, he's got such a great reputation, of course, being the greatest football coach in the history of the game, in my opinion. Um, so many people, when they leave there, they try to think like Bill and be Bill as opposed to just being themselves. It's a great observation, and that really gets me jacked up because I love the combination. I love the fact that Monty was there for 15 years, and I can tell you guys from knowing Bill Belichick, smart, tough, disciplined. That's what he's looking for. And to your point, Paulie, about the Tennessee Titans, physical. I think maybe the most physical team in the National Football League. Good, bad, or indifferent, they're going to knock your face off. And I like the fact he was there for three years. Here's my other initial takeaway. And, and just based on what we saw and heard, and what we've heard about Monty Ford is that he's very detail-oriented. Would that make sense if you spent 15 years in the Patriots organization? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. What, what was missing all of last season, seemingly? And, and yeah. I'm talking based on what the players told the media. What the coaches repeatedly cited, what we heard in hard knocks, how many times did we hear ratchet up the attention to detail? The little things are big things in the NFL. They will cost you games. And, and we saw the same things, the same errors being repeated, the self-inflicted stuff, quote-unquote, we kept hearing about. So, you know what? It does get down 
to making sure you're making those sacrifices that sometimes might not necessarily be in your own best interest, but are in the best interest of the team. And Monty Austin Ford, well, he was asked about that, and here was maybe the biggest quote that resonated. We're going to look for the right type of players. Ego will not be tolerated in this organization. There's one goal here, it's to win. There's no putting personal interests in front of the team. I was told once the definition of mental toughness is putting the team in front of something that maybe would have been better personally for me. So that, to me, is the type of players that we're looking for. Ego will not be tolerated. Darren, did you get more of a response on your Twitter account to anything other than that comment yeah, I mean, right there? That, that obviously got everybody's attention, and, and I understand why. And, and, Paul, you and I talked about it on our podcast this week. I mean, look, every player has ego if they get to this level. Every single one. Even Wolf had an ego. Amen. So uh, the, the idea that no ego will be tolerated is, is probably not realistic. Um, but if you're talking in context of not letting the ego get in the way of what is best for the team, that, that's something you can get to. And, and he actually got to that later, talking about how he was once told mental toughness was about being able to do something for the team when the opposite would be better for you to do. And uh, to me, that's a little bit more of getting to where he was going. It was a great soundbite. Don't get yep. me wrong. Yep. I know I used it. But again, like I said, I think all these guys have an ego of, at some level. And it, it, the question is being able to work with it going forward. Well, Wolf, yeah. I, Wolf, I, I heard an interview you did real quick with Anquan Bolden this week. Yeah. Didn't he say, you know what, I'd love to catch 20 catches a game, but there were games where I had to go out there and yes. throw 20 blocks. Yes, see, exactly, Paulie. That's what I was just going to say right now. You know, I I think a lot of people took that ego cut and kind of ran with it right here. When you could say this right now, ego, I think it comes down to the schemes that the Cardinals, I think, are going to run. This is what I believe. It's it's Kyler Murray saying, I'm going to go under center and I'm going to do that more. Now, I'm not saying this is the the way it's going to be. To me, when I heard him say that, it was all scheme-related. It's, okay, I'm, I'm going to go under center because that's where I need to grow my game the most. Trey McBride, you know what? I'm going to line up and be the stud tight end. I'm not going to go ahead and be the move guy all the time. I'm going to be a stud tight end, and I'm going to work on my blocking because that's what I need to do. They're not going to just throw me the ball. I need to develop my game and be more of a stud tight end, a Y tight end, than an H, which is a move guy. Isaiah Simmons, hey, listen, if I need to get better in the box, they're going to stick me in the box, they're going to ask me to play inside linebacker, I need to get a whole lot more physical. I need to accept it and embrace it. In other words, go out of your comfort zone and start doing some things in scheme that maybe you're not accustomed to or don't feel comfortable with. Well, you know what, for the team, maybe you have to learn how to do it. It's funny when you say that, though, Wolf, because when you're talking about scheme, we don't. there's no coach. We don't know what the scheme is. So when yeah. I hear the general manager say it, right. I, I, it feels more big picture to me than, yeah. than maybe what you would be doing on the field. Well, I, I guess what I, when I heard him say that right there, I thought general manager is going to hire a coach and be involved in hiring a coach who's going to think the same way he is. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the reason why I made that connection. 
Well, and the person who hired the GM is the owner, Michael Bidwell. And after getting input from players and doing a lot of research on the season that was, he had the following to say. We need more accountability. And uh, that is something that Monty and I talked about. And it's clear that that's going to be an emphasis here. And that's what he just described as setting ego aside. And it's all about accountability to the team. It's absolutely something our players are interested in. And uh, that's exactly what Monty Ford is about. And Wolf, that's about holding everyone to a similar standard, right? I mean, they're going to be superstars. We get that. But to Darren's point, it's when that ego starts changing maybe a routine or maybe expecting different standards for you versus the rest of the team. When it becomes detrimental to the overall operation, that's when someone has to step in. Yeah, Polly. Um, there's there's no doubt. You also have to check yourself and your ego at the door when you walk in. I understand that. Nobody's bigger than the team, and as long as you use the same approach with everybody, it has to apply to everybody inside that locker room. There can be absolutely zero exceptions to it, and this is one of the reasons why I said my big reaction to Monty in his introduction to the world, so to speak, was the fact that, man, he's he was looking at the team and saying, basically, we're going to come in and I'm going to be the sheriff and this is going to change. Everything is going to change around here. Every player is going to be pulled through a filter, a culture filter, and nobody is going to be an exception to that. I think that is the best way to go because, once again, once you start making exceptions, um, you start to ruin that culture. And when you talk about approach, somebody asked him about that as a personnel guy. I have a system that I believe in, and that's where we're going to focus our time and attention. And we are going to use traditional scouting methods. We are going to use analytical scouting methods. And we are going to, every step of the way, check our work, make sure we're not missing something, and continue to add competition to this roster at every opportunity that we have during the league year. And I tell you, just my other takeaway from that press conference, when he did start talking about personnel and accumulating talent through the draft or making trades or free agency, you could tell his comfort level. You could tell that's his wheelhouse. And that's what his reputation is as a real grinder who does all that sort of work. And so, you know, maybe over the past few years, that attention to detail that we talk about, maybe some of that needs to be reinstituted in the player evaluation process as well. Well, obviously, you wish the Cardinals would have had more success in their drafts over the past few years. And so you would think something would need to at least be tweaked, if not whole, wholesale overhauled. And, and so we're going to see exactly what that means. It's going to be very interesting. They're going to hold the third pick in every round that they're picking in with their own choices. And uh, that's, that's, a, that's a nice place to be. You, you hate being there. And even Monty said, he goes, I hope we're never picking number three overall ever again. But the last time they picked number three, they got a pretty good player. And uh, that worked out pretty well for them. So hopefully that'll happen again. I think we all know that player. Still goes on a first-name basis with the state of Arizona. Larry um, Fitzgerald, that guy. By the way, Darren, speaking of history, the last time the Arizona Cardinals went outside the organization, hired an external candidate to be GM, just GM, was when? 1973. Think about that. I mean, think about, we're talking 50 years since wow. the Cardinals went outside the building for an external GM. Just a GM. Obviously, a Buddy GM. Ryan was yep. GM. Yeah, Buddy Ryan, yep. 94. Coach, yep. but, yeah. So the question wow. is now, who is going to be the head coach? And there are plenty of names that are out there. And there are plenty of names that have already interviewed. 
and reportedly are going to get interviews. So we'll get to the bottom of that. What sort of head coach are they looking for? Is there a formula? What is the best fit? We continue. Paul Calvisi, Ron Wolfie, Darren Urban. It's the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. I look forward to working alongside Michael. And as he mentioned, a big step in that is, is finding our new head coach. And together with, with Michael and myself and the new head coach and everyone else in this organization, we're going to strive to find a, a collaborative environment where we are completely aligned in the football structure that we're going to put before this organization. The Arizona Cardinals making their list, checking it twice. Let there be head coaching interviews fast and furious all week long. Reportedly will continue into the weekend. We'll see what sort of timetable they have. They acted quickly on a GM, honestly, quicker than I thought they'd arrive at a hire. That is the new GM, Monty Austin Ford from the Titans. Before that, the Patriots. It's the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford, Paul Calvisi, Ron Wolfley, Darren Urban. And, D, you made a good point. We were talking uh, about how there's not nearly as many head coaching openings this year as, say, last year when there were 10. There were 10 head coaches. Now we've got half that many, and that might actually work to the Cardinals' benefit here. I think it does because you're just – there's – there's a smaller pool of teams that need guys. So the pool of potential candidates, there's only so many guys that could be off the board even if you were last. I'm not saying the Cardinals are going to be last to hire, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a much easier uh, road to hoe in terms of, of figuring out who your guy might be and, and going after him. So does that make this a little longer of a process because you know you're, it's not quite as urgent? I don't know. I mean, we're, we're going to see how this plays out, but – um, there's still guys in the playoffs that I think they want to talk to or they are talking to, and uh, the reality is is those guys don't get hired until after they're out of the playoffs, so you, you never know exactly who they're looking at and how long it might take. So, Wolf, before we hear from the new GM and what he's looking for in a head coach, do you, do you think there's a certain type of head coach they're in the market for right now, especially after this past season? Yeah, Paulie, I do. Um, Knowing that there's been seven names out there that have been floated around the two offensive guys, Sean Payton, of course, and Frank Reich, uh, they are the offensive guys. Five defensive names right now of defensive coordinators uh, that um, I really, really like. I I like a lot of these guys, but in particular, Brian Flores is a guy that gets my attention right here. He, He is a tough tough dude from what i understand and i'm talking about some guys that i know very very well some some players that you would know i'm not going to use their name because i just don't know if it's fair to them but things that these people have told me about brian flores you know it it makes me feel good it makes me feel like i know the guy a little bit more than i know the other candidates but when you look at it and you 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 look at the names and the collection of five defensive coordinators, I think it's because of that separation. I think there's a real possibility that Monty and Michael want to hire a guy that has that separation from Kyler Murray, their franchise quarterback, where Cliff Kingsbury had a very personal relationship with Kyler Murray and almost a peer-type relationship with Kyler Murray. I, I think... It, it appears to me the Cardinals may be moving away from that and moving more towards 
the alpha in the room being a defensive-minded head coach that has that built-in separation from their franchise quarterback. We'll get Darren's reaction to that, but first, here's here's the new GM, Monty Ford. He was asked what he's looking for in his next head coach. I think there's a, the specifics in terms of, of leadership in developing players and coaches, in being a teacher of fundamentals, details, and techniques. We're trying to build a sustainable program here. This is not a short-term fix. So we want a, a coach that sees the big picture and understands that we're not happy with just the results of 2023. We're building this for extended championship teams as we move forward. All right, so the two offensive names once again, Sean Payton, Frank Reich. Frank Reich reportedly has had his interview completed. And then the five defensive names that are out there, Niners defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans, former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores, current Cardinals defensive coordinator Vance Joseph, who interviewed this week. Uh, you have Detroit defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn, who reportedly is going to get an interview. And then Broncos defensive coordinator Ajiro Avaro. And so those are the names. Do you think they're more apt to go with a defensive guy because of that separation that Wolf cites? I think that's a, I think that's a fascinating kind of concept. And, and would, I, would I think that that's a possibility? Yes. But again, to me, if you're doing that, then you have to have set in stone when the, at the moment you're hiring this head coach, you got to know who your offensive coordinator is going to be, mm-hmm. to me. You, I don't. I don't think it's the thing where it's like I think I can get this guy. I think you got to know who the guy is going to be guiding Kyler going forward. That's part of the interview, right? Dirk? Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, you could. Uh, these guys are always asked. You know what? What kind of staff are you? Uh, will you be putting together? Yeah. And nothing's nothing's set in stone. Uh, you know, there's always guys, and it's happened over the years where you you might think, and there's been you know reports of oh such and such is going to be this team's running backs coach or whatever after the head coach gets hired and it never actually happens. And for whatever reason, it doesn't go through, but yeah, the, these guys have people in mind, um, but things can always change. And, and so that to me, that's, that's a big part of it. I mean, if if I'm a defensive coach, if I'm the Cardinals and I'm looking at a defensive head coach, that plan to what you're going to do on the offense and with Kyler Murray has got to be almost, that's almost as important to me as however you're going to handle this accountability stuff. For example, Brian Flores has a long-standing relationship with Jim Caldwell, yes, an offensive guy. So that that could be his answer. Um, you can't okay. tell me this is this is just me thinking out loud. You can't tell me that during the course of the Frank Reich interview, they said, you know what, Frank, if you don't get the head coaching gig, how would you feel about being an offensive coordinator for Vance Joseph? Possible. I, I mean, Mike McCoy once upon a time interviewed for the Cardinals head coaching gig. Yeah. It went to Steve Wilkes, and then Mike McCoy ended up the offensive coordinator, right? Yes. And and yes. That, that's all true. And and the Caldwell thing is interesting because he's interviewed here before. Yes. When when I believe it was the Wilkes cycle. Yes. He interviewed absolutely. for the head coach. So yep. Michael Bidwell knows him. Yes, indeed. How about the fact, Wolf, that some of these guys are former head coaches? The last two hires, Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Wilkes, were first-time NFL head coaches, whereas you have someone with a Brian Flores who has a track record, uh, Vance Joseph who had a couple years with the Broncos. They actually were head coaches on the job. Go yeah, ahead, Dick. Paul, yeah, no, I, I think that actually gives them an advantage in this. I, I just kind of feel like, you know, again, I'm not trying to read Michael's mind. I do not know. Um, I have not talked to him at all, right? He's not. He's kind of playing this close to the vest right now. Yep. But, um, yeah, you know, I, it, it appears as though I would really look at the experience that is there. So much of the time, 
we all know this. You know, when you when you have somebody and you have a breakup, you you kind of go the opposite direction of of the person you actually had the breakup with, whether it's a business relationship that you have or it's a personal relationship, whatever it is, you kind of go the opposite direction and it's one of the reasons why I find it interesting that there's as many defensive coordinators that are out there and being interviewed right now. But never forget this, guys. It's so important. Monty Ossenfort and and Michael, they can sit there and talk all they want about culture and the culture change and how that's going to happen. And that's where it starts, guys. It starts with words. It starts with a thought. It starts with a belief, philosophy. That's where it starts But the head guy, that's going to be the guy that implements it on a tactical level. That's going to be the guy that makes it happen. Sorry, I stepped on you there, Wolf. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny that you bring up the idea that these guys are, you know, have done it before. The Cardinals don't do that. Cliff Kingsbury, Bruce Arians, Steve Wilkes, Ken Wisenhunt. Uh, who was before Wisenhunt? Denny. Oh, Denny Green. Denny, Denny Green Grins, would be the yeah. last one. Buddy Ryan right. before that. Buddy Ryan. Yeah. And yeah. But but the last but, two in but, particular, Bruce Arians at least was NFL Coach of the Year as an interim guy for most of that season that's in true. Indianapolis. I, I will. I'll give you that one. And, yeah. and there was a, it's still he was like way late in the process, no, and yeah, nobody was yeah, going to hire him. Yeah. But once again, though, Derps, stopping. I mean, I, I see a split that has happened here from what the Cardinals have always done, starting oh, with yeah. Monty Ossenfort. To your point of a, when was the last time yeah. they actually hired a GM on nineteen seventy what? Um <laughs> yeah. you know, so to me maybe this is signaling a change in that direction. It was nineteen seventy three, Wolf. You were wearing your O. J. Simpson onesie pajamas <laughs> up there in oh, Buffalo. That's what was going it, on. I was eleven years old. Knock it off. All right. Darren, we appreciate the insight and the knowledge, keeping Wolf accountable. We need accountability in the big red rage. You bring it. Thank That's you. what we appreciate enjoy. It. All right. See you, Wolf. Thank you, Derb. You know what else you enjoy? Episode 55 of the Dave Pash Podcast featuring actor and comedian extraordinaire Frank Caliendo, now available wherever you get your podcasts and via Twitter at PashPod. All right. What does this all mean for Kyla Murray? That is next on the Big Red Rage brought to you by Santan Ford in Gilbert. We're looking for a head coach that can lead this entire organization. We're looking for a head coach that can develop all the players and Kyler being a big part of that. We want the right coach, whether that's an offensive coach or a defensive coach. Frankly, doesn't matter. We want the best coach. When we have a plan for what we are going to be as an organization, we're going to develop our players and we're going to put them in the best position to make us successful and ultimately win. It's one of the new voices of leadership for the Arizona Cardinals. Brand new general manager, Monty Ford, meeting the media this week, asked about Kyler Murray and what it means for the franchise quarterback going forward whenever he returns in the 2023 season, coming off the season any knee injury and surgery here to start the offseason. It's the Arizona Cardinals' big red rage presented by Santan, Ford, and Gilbert, Paul Calvisi, Ron Wolfley. And, and Wolf, look, it's a fair question about Kyler, A, because we know that Cliff Kingsbury was hired in large part to be a combo with Kyler Murray. I I still think it's one of the big reasons he got the contract extension because if you're going to extend Kyla Murray, you were going to extend Cliff Kingsbury as they were a pairing. Uh, And then at the same time, you go back to when the Cardinals did hire Cliff Kingsbury and the method behind that hiring, at least as explained by the decision makers at the time, was if you hire the next hot offensive coordinator, he's going to last one year because another team will gobble him up to be their head coach. 
But now there seems to be, as you have pointed out, a different approach this time around, just based on the fact five of the seven reported candidates are defensive guys. So once again, going back to the critical question for any of those candidates, they better have an answer when it comes to the quarterback and the offense. Yeah, Paulie, you have to. Uh, I, I'm looking at this right now, and, and again, I'm not saying this is the way that it is. I'm just saying for me, Paul, when I look at this, job one for any coach is to fix Kyler Murray. And when I say that, I don't mean that Kyler Murray's broken. I just mean that I think even Kyler would admit he took a step back this year from the first three years that we saw him develop. When he was a rookie, there's no denying the fact he came in, and, man, we could all see the talent. But he got better from his rookie year to year two. He got better from year two to year three. And then, of course, we know the results that the team experienced at that point in time as well. Yes, they had two seasons in a row where they collapsed in the second half, but they did make it to the playoffs that third year right there. And even though that game did not go well, we all understand. Understand. There was advancement, five wins to eight wins to 11 wins in a playoff appearance. It, it looked as though everything was on track to continue to get better, to me at least. And then all of a sudden, year four, and he took a step back. So the first thing that needs to happen is for accountability. And that is Kyler Murray saying, I need to get better. I need to evolve my game, and that's what the new head coach is going to have to do. I think you've got the new GM. He's got to hire a head coach who feels the way he does, and Kyler Murray also. That three-headed monster right there, the GM, the head coach, and, of course, your franchise quarterback, they all have to be on the same page as to what Kyler needs to do to get better, and Kyler's got to embrace it. When the Cardinals were 7-0 and to start the 2021 season last season, he was a legitimate MVP candidate. Yes. Fact. There's no arguing it. He, he no. was. And, and the season opener was at Tennessee, and Monty Ford had a front-row seat for what Kyler is capable of. He accounted for five touchdowns that day, and it's probably one of the reasons when Monty was asked specifically about Kyler Murray, here's what the new GM had to say. Kyler's got to get healthy, and we want to do everything in our power to help him get healthy. We want to see him out on the field. I've seen what a healthy Kyler can do. I did a lot of work on Kyler coming out of Oklahoma. I know that he is extremely talented with both his legs and his arm. And so, yeah, that does represent a challenge for us. We'll be ready for it. But the first order of business is, is getting Kyler healthy and helping him in whatever manner that is possible. It's also a matter of identifying what was the problem this year. You know, I think before you yeah. can correct a problem, you have to identify it. And we've talked about this on the Big Red Rage Wolf, that in 2021, Kyler led all quarterbacks in that DVOA deep throw category, 16-plus yes. air yards. And he was number one in deep ball accuracy. When he got hurt this year and he was done for the season, he was dead last. So you can quibble with some of those numbers, but to go from the top of the rankings to the bottom, yeah, obviously something was amiss. And so can they figure that out, both the GM and the new coaching staff, and get him corrected? Yeah, Paulie, can I just say right now that um, a couple of things on this, because so much of deep throws – Throwing the ball down the field comes off a of play action, Paul. Yep, good point. So, so much of that happens. And because of that, um, that's where the best kind of play action where you can take shots down the field comes from a quarterback being under center. It does. 
because you're on, you're up on the line of scrimmage. You snap the ball and you're running to that mesh point where a running back is coming up. And man, those second level backers, they gotta sit there and they gotta honor that. And a lot of times safeties will bite on that action as well. And all of a sudden, a seven step play action, you're chucking the ball down the field. But the other thing about that, Paul, yes, schematically, that is the truth about throwing the ball down the field with with that play action. But you better have an offensive line that can hold up as well. And we all know what happened to the offensive line this year for the Arizona Cardinals. And I think that also contributed to a lot because you've got to have guys who can hold up and pass protect while you're play acting. You had 10 different starting offensive line combinations. It was a, yes, it was a constant moving target up front. There's no doubt about that. Here's Monty Austin Ford on what he learned during his 15 years with the Patriots. Every day going to work was a masterclass education of how to build a football roster and how to build a winning organization. There are core beliefs that I believe that I will take from there as I will take from every step along my way that I plan to bring here and put my own spin on it and make it the cardinal way. So, Wolf. When we have a chance to talk to Monty Austin Ford in depth, we're going to ask him about the line of scrimmage, your favorite topic, right? Yeah, yes. Jim Omohundro and myself, we did a little research. We went back through the last 15 drafts for the Arizona Cardinals. How many offensive linemen do you think the Cardinals have drafted in round one or round two over the last 15 drafts going back through 2008? Um, two. You're right. DJ Is hum- it really? DJ Humphreys in 2015. Jonathan Cooper in 2013. Of course, he was hurt in the third preseason game. Was never never the same. Now Levi Brown was 07. That would be year 16. But think about that. Wow. Only two offensive linemen around one or round two in the past 15 drafts. Now, how many defensive linemen do you think have been drafted? We're talking interior D linemen. Yeah. In round one or round two in the past 15 drafts. Um. Okay. Let's not get kooky here. I'm going to say one, three. Okay. Although, although really, they only got return on investment out of one. So in some ways, you're right. 2016, Robert Kandichi, but that was 29th overall. Yeah. 2010, Dan the Can, Dan Williams the nose tackle, 26th overall. 2008, round two, Calais Campbell. Oh, yeah, round two, okay. So in the trenches, there has not been that investment of draft capital, at least near the top of the draft. Paulie, it's the line of scrimmage, man, on both sides of the ball, right? To the offensive line and the defensive line. That's where the major rebuild has got to happen, as far as I'm concerned. I think you're saying the same thing. Yep. I just think Monty Austin, Ford, and company, they're going to come in, and they're going to see that. Yeah. And I think that's where they start. That's just my gut feeling. Besides, you have a lot of weapons on this team. You have a lot of skill players on this team. You've obviously invested the last couple of drafts in inside linebackers. So I just think if the first three picks are offensive line, defensive line, offensive line again, I would not be shocked. Hey, join um, the season ticket priority list, by the way, and select your seats before the general public. 2023 opponents include the Seahawks, Niners, and Rams, plus the Giants, Cowboys, Ravens, Falcons, and Bengals. All visit State Farm Stadium. It's loaded the home schedule. Go to azcardinals.com slash priority list for more info. We'll talk NFL playoffs next on the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Thirty-six yarder from the right hash to win the game. Logan Cook will put it down. Riley Patterson. Cook puts it down. Patterson's kick is up. The field goal is good. 
won it. The Jaguars have won it. They have come back from 27-0 to win the game and move on. How good is that? That's what I'm talking about. How about that on Jaguars Radio? As you had Frank Frangie and Tony Boselli with a game-winning call. How improbable was that? I mean, that was like epic. That was historic. Not to mention Jacksonville became the first team in the NFL to win a playoff game after finishing the year before with the worst record in the league. Think about that. It's the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford, Paul Calvisi, Ron Wolfley. And you know what? You look at some of these... Some of these uh, reclamation projects, if you will, the New York Giants, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and what they did from one season to the next. And you realize that five of the ten teams that hired new head coaches last year, Wolf, made the playoffs. So if you get it right, you can get into the postseason one season to the next. Yeah, no, you're right about that, Polly. But, man, as I listen to you play that cut right there, all I can think of two things, man. That's Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley and the Chargers ran the ball six times in the second half, Paul. Six times. Ouch. And they had a 20-point lead, and that's all they did is run the ball six times. Oh, my goodness. By way of example, the Dallas Cowboys, they had an 18-point lead at half over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They came out the first 10 plays they ran of the second half. They ran the ball six times, even though... Even though they weren't running the ball effectively in the first half, they came out and said, "Man, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and try to shorten this game right now because we got a really big lead." That that's number one takeaway, and number two is just Trevor Lawrence. Paul, are you kidding me? How does that happen? How do you go out and throw three picks in the first quarter, four in the first half, and somehow, some way, you overcome yourself and all that doubt? and all of that disbelief to go out and light it up the way that he did and bring his team back? Oh, Paulie, you have to ask, Trevor Lawrence, what are you becoming? Yeah, now they get the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes in his career 4-0 in the division round of the playoffs, and in nine home playoff games, Mahomes has 26 touchdown passes and three picks. So we'll see how Jacksonville fares on Saturday. You brought up the Niners and Cowboys. This will be their ninth all-time playoff meeting Brock Purdy, 6-0 and as a starter right down the stretch. I mean, but then you look at that Niners defense, and Wolf, it's hard for me to tell about Dallas because Tampa was so bad that I, I, I have a hard time gauging how good is Dallas, how legit is Dallas. Now, Micah Parsons was legit. He had the yeah. sack and eight quarterback pressures, right? And, and Nick Bosa, obviously, NFL Defensive Player of the Year most likely. What comes to mind when you think about Niners and Cowboys? That's that's it right there. I think of that defense. I think the San Francisco 49ers defense actually going against Dak Prescott. That, to me, is the matchup of the game right now because that defense is so lights out. And Dak Prescott played very, very well. But we know from time to time he's been up and down. And going out and lighting up the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their defense is, is – um, not like going out and lighting up the San Francisco 49ers defense. That would be altogether different. So, yes, I think of Brock Purdy immediately, but because of the strength of the 49ers, Paulie, I just 
Uh, I don't see the Dallas Cowboys pulling the upside here. Yeah, the Niners' D has allowed the fewest points in the NFL. The Niners have also won 11 in a row going back to the end of the regular season. All right, how about the Bengals at your Buffalo Bills? Bengals have won nine in a row. The Bills have won eight in a row. And then Josh Allen against Joe Burrow. Size that one up for us. Paulie, all I can think of is DeMar Hamlin, right? That's what you think of yeah. immediately. Sure. It's just the fact there it was, week 18. It was that the final game they were going to play, and it was going to be these two teams, and yet here it is again. And Buffalo seems to be this team of destiny. Somehow, some way, the Miami Dolphins were hanging in that game in Orchard Park last week, and again, they lost three games to the Buffalo Bills by nine points total. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Wow, I didn't know How that. How contested it was all season long, and now in this matchup right here, you got Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has all the intangibles, and yet you've got Josh Allen, who's got all the tangibles. He's, he is an, a walking, talking stud. He's big. He's got everything you could possibly want in a franchise quarterback. He runs the ball, Josh Allen, with conviction. He runs the ball not like a quarterback runs the ball. He runs the ball like, like George Kittle runs the <laughs> ball. It's unbelievable, and yet he's a great team leader. He checks every box, and yet Joe Burrow has got this swag, and it's this swag that inspires his teammates around him. Josh Allen has a much better supporting cast than Joe Burrow has in Cincinnati, yet I'm not counting out the Bengals in this game at all. I think it's going to be an awesome game. Yeah, the Bills' secondary is banged up. Cincinnati deep with receivers, obviously. You know, although that Cincinnati offensive line is going to be missing three starters, so we'll see if they can protect Joe Burrow. Although, what, he got sacked like 11 times in a playoff game last yes. year, and they still won. All right, then the Giants at Philly, and we know what happened in the season finale. Philly actually struggled a little bit, even though the Giants weren't playing all their guys. And, man, the Giants looked good in that win against the Vikings. How about how about Daniel Jones running it 17 times? You talk about a quarterback <laughs> running it. Daniel Jones, what was going on there? Man. Yeah, with Daniel Jones, uh, Brian Dable was going on there. Daniel Jones has developed so much. He's doing so well, and you can just see the confidence. You hear me say this all the time, that confidence is the currency of competition. You buy and sell performances based on your confidence level, and Daniel Jones's confidence is growing. But I think, I honestly think, the Giants are going to upset the Philadelphia Eagles. Really? And the reason why I say that is the one weakness. I remember all the way back to when the Arizona Cardinals played the Eagles early in the season last year. The one weakness they had was running the ball, especially in a north-south direction at them. That was the only weakness I saw on this team. Everything else was pretty locked down, lights out, including Jalen Hurts and how he was playing. I'm not saying that still won't be the case. I think Jalen Hurts and the offense is, is, is excellent. But having said that, Saquon Barkley, man, and Daniel Jones, the yep. way that he's playing right now, run the ball, attack the Eagles' front seven in a north-south kind of way. That's something the Giants do well. This could be an upset. That's my upset of the weekend. Because, Wolf, if you get into second and long, third and long, obvious passing situations, that Eagles defense had 70 sacks. They have yep. four players with 10 or more sacks on the year. That's 
All the more reason, Paulie, why I think they're going to go ahead and try to run the ball. And by the way, maybe the best matchup of the playoffs might be Dexter Lawrence, the nose tackle for the Giants, going against a fellow All-Pro in Eagles center Jason Kelsey. <laughs> I mean, they ought to have sort of a picture-in-picture of those two guys going at yeah. it because Dexter Lawrence, I, he might have been the best player on the field despite everything that Daniel Jones did. I mean, especially at the end there, he ended up – pretty much winning that game for the Giants, getting pressure on Kirk Cousins. Paulie, that is a great observation by you. So right on it, spot on. Yet at the same time, you talk to guys, offensive linemen, former offensive linemen. You talk to some of these older guys. They watch, they watch Jason Kelsey, and they actually talk about him with reverence as to how good he is as a center. They, it's it's really kind of cool. Both my brothers, older, of course, Craig, uh, 12 years with the Pittsburgh Steelers, younger Dale, you know them both. They love Jason Kelsey, but also Max Starks, if you talk to Max. You know, all these former offensive linemen, they, they speak of Jason Kelsey with reverence. I still love the story that Nick Sirianni told at the start of training camp. They asked him, how would you convince Jason Kelsey to forget about retirement? He said, well, I called him up. I kind of get a gauge of where he was at. I sent him a couple of kegs of his favorite beer. <laughs> he called me back that night and said, okay, coach, I'll come back and play another season for you. <laughs> that's, that's an all-time story right there. That's awesome. But I tell you, I, I, I watch him, and I watch your Dexter Lawrence, and it's just further proof if the Cardinals go with, oh, I don't know, a Jalen Carter, or maybe top around two, the top center in the draft, I would have. Or Will Anderson, Polly. Oh, There's nothing wrong with that. Yep, no doubt. Just look at Nick Bosa. A special thanks to Darren Urban for joining us, executive producer Jim Almohundro, technical director Cody Fincher. For Ron Wolfley, I'm Paul Calvisi. This has been the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. The Cardinals have the GM next up ahead, Coach, as we go into the playoff weekend. Thanks for joining us on the Big Red Rage. Number one, Kyler Murray! You've been listening to the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Are you Santan Ford? State Farm. Talk to an agent today at 800-STATE-FARM. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club.